it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is Bikini, and we're still just floating through space. Boy, you really didn't plan this out well this time, did you? This should be proof that we don't plan this all out. It just happens. How do you figure? Well, as I'm sure our loyal listeners know, these bumper segments are just our lives as recruiters for the Frieza Force, our trials and tribulations along the way, and our attempts to bring new warriors into Lord Frieza's glorious service. Trials and tribulations? Sure. And I guess attempts is the right way to put it, since in the two years that I've been here, we've seen all of two potential new candidates, uh, one of whom had his head bitten off by giant crickets and another of which did nothing other than attack us and then infected my brain and made me try to kill you. See, I'm truthful. So? So if I never lie and I say this is not planned out and is just our lives, then I must be telling the truth. (sighs) Anyway, listeners, let's reset the scene for you here. Despite me having done that last time. Yes, despite Bikini's poor attempts to have done so last time. When I found Bikini in the underground caverns on Zeddy 3, he was cowering in the dark, crying about giant killer bats, of which I saw nothing but shredded wings and bits of gore. Crying's an exaggeration. Hey, who's telling this story here? Unfortunately, you. I also saw a new hole in the cavern ceiling, which implies that perhaps one of these bats escaped through a passageway. And you've never been able to answer how it could have punched through the molten rock and been able to achieve escape velocity and leave the planet. Details. Anyway, we actually wound up skipping P-32, as there were no pings there, and then setting down on Cygnus V, a rocky planet of oranges and browns. And giant killer beetles. Yes, and those. Which ate me. And that, according to you... According to me... You saw it this time! And yet you're here now. So either I saw wrong, or you refused to tell me how you escaped from the belly of the beast. If you'd ever just give me the opportunity to explain... No time for that. We've prattled on long enough already. Let's get into this week's topic. And this week, instead of getting into our next arc of the Dragon Ball saga, the Dragon Ball story, instead of a game profile, because I think the last time we did video games, it kind of took us into the 90s, and we're still kind of... In terms of the story, we're not into the 90s yet. And instead of doing a movie commentary, as we sometimes do, we're not really at the point where a movie is yet. So what I wanted to do was, we haven't done this in a while. I guess we kind of (laughs) did. In October, we did do a profile of sorts on a creator of Dragon Ball where we talked about uh, Daisuke Nishio quite a bit. During our Halo episode. Mm-hmm. Go back and check that one out if you didn't. And you want to learn more about the guy who directed a whole bunch of the Dragon Ball movies. It's a good one. But it has been a while since we've since we've done a profile on one of the principal manga creators, I guess I'll say. And you might think, well, Toriyama created the manga, so there, that's it. 
But you'd be wrong. <laughs> yes, you would. And also, shut up, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so what we wanted to do, though, is take a look at Kazuhiko Torishima. And if you have made it this far in our podcast and you don't know who he is, uh, for, for starters, I'm, I'm, I'm like impressed. <laughs> I'm not even mad. Thank you for having us playing in the background while you're doing other things and completely not listening to us. <laughs> you know, it, people might think we want to have people listen. We do. We do. But um, we'll take the plays where you don't listen as well. That's, yes, that's fine. Yes. But Torshima, just very, very high level before, you know, we'll, we'll talk more obviously as we go. He was the editor working at Shonen Jump or at Jump who discovered Akira Toriyama, whose Toriyama's style popped out at, made him interested, and gave him his start, and then was his was Toriyama's editor through all of Dr. Slump and all of the Dragon Ball portion of the Dragon Ball manga. As the manga gets into Z, uh, Torishima leaves, and Toriyama gets a a new editor whose name was definitely something. No, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was Yu Kondo. So that's that's Torishima or Toriyama's second editor, and then his third editor who takes over uh, in the middle of the Cell Saga when Perfect Cell first appears is Fuyuto Takeda. But this is Torishima. He is Toriyama's first editor. And therefore, in a lot of ways... See, I hate downplaying other people, but, you know, in a lot of ways, Toriyama is, like, the most important editor to Toriyama. Because he really does give him his start. Where Without Toriyama, there just is no Dragon Ball. Sure. So, let's talk about this guy, because he's super important and we we have already talked about his importance in the creation of dragon ball itself and his famous or infamous tea that he had with toriyama where he learned that toriyama watches movies while he while he writes and told him to then incorporate those movies into his next manga so if we glaze over like some of that stuff it's because we've already talked about it this is trying to tell you new things maybe about Kazuhiko Torishima. So without further ado, Torishima was born in 1952 in Ojiya in Niigata Prefecture, Japan. Unlike Toriyama, who enjoyed his small town life and wishes he never had to leave his small town or even interact with other people, <laughs> Torishima says he did not like his small town as he had nothing in common with the people there and they had nothing to talk about. His parents ran a clothing store, and he spent his youth basically just reading alone, but never maintained very good grades, despite reading a lot. Knowing that his good grades wouldn't, or his his poor grades wouldn't get him into university, he moved to Tokyo and entered a prep school, and found himself feeling liberated by finally meeting people who shared his interests and were willing to talk to him and having some you know, some camaraderie with, with people. So then as, as he's growing and getting older in 1976. So at the age of 24, after, you know, graduating from this prep school, he joins Shueisha publishing the, the year he graduates actually from Kyo, Kyo, I guess, Kyo, maybe university in, in Tokyo. He wanted to be an editor for the Japanese edition of playboy. Because he claims <laughs> the high quality of the stories found therein in the 70s. I just agree with him. Yes, those, <laughs> it, it's, it, the, the articles are amazing. <laughs> doubt. I'm going <laughs> to push the doubt button on that one. <laughs> but he was actually assigned as an editor for Weekly Shonen Jump, despite having never read any manga. <laughs> His first exposure to manga, actually, was Shueisha sending him some of their products for reference before he started working there. And he was originally, uh, initially assigned to Doberman Deka or Deka, 
an early manga from Buranson who would go on to create Fist of the North Star. Ooh. So Doberman Deka, though obviously not Buranson's biggest hit, was popular enough to spawn two live-action movies, the first of which starred Sonny Chiba and was directed by Kinji Fukusaku, who we've mentioned before as the star and director, respectively, uh, both Chiba and Fukusaku, that is, of the film Drifting Detective, Tragedy in the Red Valley. I forget. We mentioned that in, like, one of our, like, tournament episodes, I think. Okay. Or maybe it was, it might have been the Fortune Teller Baba stuff. But we've we've mentioned them, them before. I think Fukusaku actually, oh boy, I hope I'm getting my facts here. He's like the director of Battle Royale also, which is an awesome movie. Yes, it is. So as, as Torishima spends time studying classic manga from Shueisha's past, he helps shepherd Doberman Decca from 13th to 3rd in reader rankings. And seeing his efforts earn success is when he finally actually becomes actively interested in manga as a storytelling form and an art form. So he was like bummed out, didn't care, but he was like, but I'm going to do my job. And so he starts, you know, going back and looking at Shueisha's old catalogs and being like, well, this one was popular, so why don't you try some of this? And this one was popular, so try some of that. And, it, you know, he sees his his little little manga that he's in charge of gain in popularity. And he's like, okay, so there's there's something to this. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just fickle children reading this. There's something to sort of the art of this and the storytelling of this that makes it popular. Torshima winds up becoming very interested in layouts, and he went to great efforts to ensure that all the manga he worked on were easy to read and had good angles and smart paneling. In 1978, he comes across submissions from Akira Toriyama, and he's intrigued by the style and the use of Western lettering. That's what pops out at him, is nobody in Japan is putting any English lettering into their manga at this point and Toriyama is so that's ooh, something different Torishima then gives Toriyama his chance winds up going through an iterative process that basically gets them to Dr. Slump and he's then Toriyama's editor throughout all of Dr. Slump and the first half or so of Dragon Ball maybe first third He's the one who convinces Toriyama to make Arale the main character of Dr. Slump, add in some of the series' key romances, and influences much of the creation of Dragon Ball. He's considered the inspiration behind Dr. Masharito from Dr. Slump, and I think Toriyama doesn't even necessarily shy away from that one. He's like, yeah, no, I flipped the syllables of his name around, and that's Mm -hmm. him. But he's also considered the inspiration behind King Piccolo from Dragon Ball, and... Toriyama says Toriyama does not admit to doing it consciously. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But Toroshima has noticed it. And this is hammered home in the 2005 Nintendo DS video game. So at this point, maybe the rumor is already out there, but still there's a, a Nintendo DS game called jump superstars which like has like a whole bunch of the jump characters that like shueisha owns all you know congregating in like a fighting think, game basically I think like but, uh super smash brothers but for shonen jump yeah but in this game masharito and piccolo can fuse and the special attack of their fusion is yelling at their opponent <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about more about Torishima and King Piccolo and what makes that comparison make sense because, you know, Piccolo is a big green alien and Torishima is presumably not. <laughs> I would hope. Uh, I've seen pictures of him. He's not either that or he does a great makeup job. Uh, but we'll do that when we cover the King Piccolo stuff. Toriyama also says... His idea behind the creation of Cell as a being striving after perfection and nothing less than perfection was based on Torishima calling him on the debuts of the androids. Initially, firstly, 17 and 18, and then also, like, or actually, initially, 19 and 20, 
and then also 17 and 18, at which point Toroshima is no longer Toriyama's editor, but he's calling Toriyama to tell his his you know former mangaka how disappointing he found these characters. And he's like, I know you can do better, do better, make a better villain, make it something interesting. These are boring characters. Do better. And that's what makes Tori like having an old boss call you up and being like that presentation you gave at work this week was terrible. (laughs) You're just like, I don't even work for you anymore. How do you know about this? (laughs) But so, yeah, that's that's what makes Toriyama go, Okay, my villain is going to strive for perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Toroshima does remain Toriyama's editor through 1989, the end of the Piccolo Jr. saga. And he remains involved with assisting editing Dragon Ball, actually because of his like future roles within the company all the way through the end of the Frieza saga. But that's because he's like, he's more in charge of weekly Shonen jump and not just Toriyama. So when it came time to collaborate with Toriyama, Toroshima notes that the mangaka is stubborn and he'd often have to use unorthodox methods to get Toriyama to do what he want, what he felt was right. For example, a Raleigh of Dr. Slump was only meant to be a guest character for a single episode, with the idea being that the titular Dr. Slump would be the main character of the manga, and there'd be a different main guest character every week. Torishima had always felt more of a connection with manga designed for girls, as he felt the stories had more depth than those for boys, and loved the way Toriyama drew and used girl characters, so despite Toriyama's insistence that Weekly Shonen Jump was for boys, and a boy should be the main character of his book, Torishima made a wager with Toriyama. Make a Raleigh the main character for a special edition story, and both Toriyama and Torishima would bet on where it would fall in the rankings. Whoever was closest would get to decide if Arali would remain the main character or not. Torishima won the bet, and thus Arali remained the main character. And in my mind, I'm picturing like like a Price is Right situation where he had like Toriyama <laughs> pick the number first and then just picked one like, over the next to it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. What did what did he say? Twelve hundred, twelve oh one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Torishima notes, though, that sometimes Toriyama was simply intractable. We've already talked about how he threatened to quit over the time skip between the end of the Fortune Teller Baba arc and the beginning of the 22nd Budokai Tenkaichi. Uh, But even before that, Toriyama proved to Torishima that there were things he would not budge on. When Arale became noted as the main character for Dr. Slump, Torishima pushed Toriyama to rename the manga to reflect this development. Toriyama refused, and Torishima simply said he picked his battles elsewhere and compromised. He does admit to some of his own stubbornness as well, however. For example, when Toriyama was attempting to introduce the mad scientist character that ultimately became Dr. Mashirito, he came up with what Torishima thought of as too generic a design, and Torishima simply told him no. When Toriyama (laughs) asked him to elaborate, he told Toriyama that the design was boring and he needed to redraw the character entirely. Picturing of the picturing in his mind the person that he hated the most and then making that a character. Toriyama waited until the deadline to submit his work. Basically, Torishima in manga form. <laughs> Torishima said he was too close to the deadline to ask for another revision and simply hoped that Mashirito would be unpopular and forced to be written out, but he became very popular and now everyone knows the story of the origin of Dr. Slump's main antagonist. What a what a guy that Toriyama. <laughs> what a jokester. I like how he sticks it to the man. Yeah. Toriyama notes that he ran out of steam on Dr. Slump and wanted to stop writing, at which point his evil editor forced him to come up with something new. From Toroshima's side, Dr. Slump was still extremely popular and helping Weekly Shonen Jump retain the coveted number one circulation spot. So Shueisha didn't want it to end. The only way they'd allow Dr. Slump to end would be if Toroshima could come up with something that would sell just as well. This is why he put so much pressure on Toriyama in creating Dragon Ball. It was both of their jobs on the line. Yikes. When Dragon Boy was very well received as a one-shot, Toroshima knew there were seeds there for a long-running story, but just not quite enough. He notes that making a long-running successful manga means you need fertile ground for features to be added over many years, and it was his idea to incorporate elements of Journey to the West. He knew 
their readers would get it. And in a shrewd business move, it was all public domain and they wouldn't have to pay anyone for the rights to use elements from it. That is pretty smart, honestly. Also, he wanted the new manga to be as opposite from Dr. Slump as possible while still being recognizably Toriyama and therefore marketable. He says Dr. Slump mostly took place in essentially like California. So to him, the opposite of California was China. Yeah, okay. I, I could see I could see a lot of people probably in the U.S. that would agree with that. Yeah. Or disagree with that, I guess, depending on where they are, <laughs> where they are politically. <laughs> in, in order to boost Dragon Ball's popularity, beyond stripping down the number of characters and starting the tournament format that both Torishima and Toriyama knew would excite people, Torishima notes that he found Goku's initial character too passive. And he and Toriyama went back and forth for a while on how to fix this and make him more interesting. As Toriyama wanted to make sure he retained the free spirit of Goku. And they ultimately arrived at him needing some kind of motive, even if it wasn't for anything typical. They landed on his quest to continually train and get stronger. So that's that's why that's why Goku has this drive to continually better himself. It's because Torishima was like, you got it. This character's got to have something. He he can't just be a completely free spirit. That's not interesting. He's got to have. There's got to be a carrot at the end of that stick. Torishima still wasn't completely satisfied with Dragon Ball. He had fixed the main character, but all through the run, including the Red Ribbon Army, uh, Torishima felt the villains were too comedic. He had initially pushed for the Red Ribbon Army as he felt Goku needed someone evil to fight, but was unsatisfied with how ultimately they became punchlines, despite being unrepentantly bad he pushed on toriyama for years until one day torishima said he wanted someone like the roman emperor nero toriyama was engaged and as torishima explained further the history and psychology of nero toriyama became inspired from that piccolo was created this shaped the future of all dragon ball villains to come torishima says at this time the dr slump anime was running and dragon ball was gearing up he says he found the Dr. Slump anime unsatisfactory and unsuccessful and notes that it was due to two factors. The first is that it deviated too much from the manga. Viewers wanted to see the manga come to life on screen, not get something completely different. The second is that it was Shonen Jump's first anime and nobody knew how to control the creative process on that side of things. He spent some time studying successful anime adaptations and spoke with the Doraemon team to get things in line for Dragon Ball. And he took those lessons to the team there to make sure the Dragon Ball anime went the way that he and Toriyama would like. This explains created- why the fur- like why the further we get into the Dragon Ball anime and manga, the less there are differences between the anime and Makes the manga. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. They created a giant Bible of rules for the Dragon Ball manga and made sure they were involved early in creative decision-making, having learned from Dr. Slump that once something was animated, it's essentially set in stone and cannot be changed even if the creators find it misses the point. Still, Dragon Ball ratings were not where he felt they should be and even started to decline. He says that as he watched the Demon King Piccolo portion of the anime, he realized the issue was that the producer was the same as the producer on Dr. Slump who was holding over too many notions of what Dragon Ball should be based on working on Dr. Slump. And he wasn't giving it the gravitas that the story had adapted to over time. He went to the studio and asked to have the producer changed. Torishima noticed that Saint Seiya was a very popular at the time, and he so he poached the director, Kuz... Uh, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Kauzu? Kauzu? I think it's Kauzu, yes. Kauzu Marishita, who uh, we haven't spoken about much yet, and Takeo Koyama, who we profiled in our Don Dracula episode during October of last year, uh, he said he wanted them to help him reboot Dragon Ball. Koyama became a staff writer while Marishita served uh, in a producer type of role. At the same time, Toriyama wanted to change Goku's character design and have him grow up. Torishima initially balked, but after hearing out his mangaka, the logic was too sound for him to be able to dispute, and he felt he had to just go with it. The two main points Toriyama made were that as the villains were becoming more serious, it was becoming more difficult to justify a child fighting them, and that Toriyama was already distorting Goku's proportions for his fights with the bigger, taller, meaner, and more muscular Piccolo, and then reverting him back to a cute, stocky child when he was not fighting, and these discrepancies were annoying him as an artist. (laughs) Why do I get the feeling it's more that he was just 
angry that he had to draw him in more ways than one. <laughs> so all these elements combine, and Marisha says that if they rebrand the show and come up with a new title, audiences will think it's something new and exciting, and it'll become popular. Toriyama says after this run, there won't be anything further. This is the end. Thus, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, that's why. That's uh, I I like the. You know, it's funny that that Toriyama didn't approach him with. We've already changed Goku's size once, and nobody freaked out like you thought they would. Yeah, Toriyama says he prefers his stories to have depth, and notes that he has been interested in philosophy since a very young age. He says when he was in fourth grade, he was peeing, and there was a window in front of him. Out of that window, he could see the moon and felt like the moon could see him. The thought of something as big and as far away as the moon seeing a little boy pee made him question his place in the universe, and he started reading Confucius, Nietzsche, and heavy philosophy. He became frustrated after a while, though, with how all these philosophers started saying different and often contradictory things. So he pivoted and began reading erotic novels. <laughs> okay. So I think he just gets like, he's like, oh, these guys, like, yeah, it's all thought-provoking, but they're all contradicting. I'm just going to go read something that's, like, easier, maybe? I, I don't know. I guess. <laughs> but... This does make his desire to write for Playboy make more sense. If he's been reading, like, get your mama hot type of books that, you know, your mom reads just for, like, maybe for fun, then he has a feel for when it's good and when it's not. Yeah. So he says he never read manga as a child because he was very poor. And he'd have to ask his parents for money to buy it for him, but... They looked down on manga as a lesser form of entertainment, and also they were poor and couldn't afford to continually buy a manga every week for their son, so they sent him to the library. Libraries in Japan in those days didn't carry much manga, so he just never read manga growing up. When he finally started at Shueisha, he notes that his bosses asked him to submit a weekly ranking of which titles he liked best. The company does that within its readership as well, and... You know, they say, hey, what does everyone like the best? And they get a poll, and that's how they know which titles to keep running, which ones to cancel, etc. Which, like, which one-offs to put into into full serialization, all that stuff mm-hmm. is from reader feedback. Torishima says his rankings and readership and the readership rankings were almost exactly the opposite of each other. <laughs> when he was assigned to Doberman Decca, he recognized that readership ranked it very low, and Shueisha was planning to end the series due to lack of popularity. But remember, Torishima is almost completely out of lockstep with his with this readership, so he knows there's at least potential there. And what he thinks is that maybe the art is throwing people off, specifically the way that illustrator Shinji Hiramatsu is drawing the women. At that time, idol worship in Japan was very big. It still is, somewhat. But especially in the 70s and 80s, idol worship was a big thing. And if you don't know what idol worship is, it's basically like all of these J-pop bands that have dozens upon dozens of members, which would kind of be the American equivalent, I think, would kind of be like the, the Pussycat Dolls, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Where they have like just like a rotating membership. Each member is like considered like a star or an idol, and they all have like their own little personalities and their own little personality quirks. And you're like, oh, I like this one best because she, you know, wears glasses and she like is is whatever she likes pillows. And oh, I like this one best because she likes dogs. Like every like each one has like a little quirk, and that's supposed to get you to really like the music and buy all the merch and all that stuff is to like be really into the idols and their, and their personalities. So Torishima goes out and he buys a few copies of a very popular idol magazine and he sends them to Hiramatsu and, and tells him to start drawing his women, like the top ranked idols in the magazine and the rankings of Doberman Decca suddenly surged. Sex sells. There's an interesting concept. Uh, he also says the reason he read manga to learn 
more about it is because he found that he was very good and fast at his job and was able to complete his weekly, like, regular tasks very quickly, which things that an early editor would have to do is, like, review submissions as they came in and, and things like that, that, you know, a top line... The guy who's in charge of Shonen Jump isn't reading all the submissions that come in, just the ones that his lower level editors are bringing him. When he's done with his tasks, he'd be asked by senior staff to do menial tasks, and he didn't like that. So he would start coming in early, finishing his tasks, and then escaping into the archives to go read manga, which he preferred to doing menial office tasks. Though we've noted in the past that he and Toriyama studied Tezuka's paneling methods in order to gain Dragon Ball some popularity, popularity, the main manga that initially inspired Torishima and that he attempted to model many of the books he worked on after was Ore Watepe by Tutsuya Chiba. I probably butchered that. But Chiba is a mangaka known mostly for sports stories who began publishing in the 50s and 60s and whose stories in some cases are still in print today. Obviously, like reprints and things, you know, new editions, whatever, to get people to buy something. But they're, they're popular. They still sell. This guy wrote stories in the 50s and 60s that are still popular enough that if they slap a new cover on it, it'll still sell. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, Torishima is a fan of video games, and when Shonen Jump wanted to add a contest to win Nintendo products to his magazine, they tapped Torishima to head up the effort. Torishima wanted to do more than just put in contest pages and wanted to devote some space to actual game-related articles, but knew he'd need some help spearheading Shuisha's efforts foraying into video game coverage, so he brought in a friend named Yuki Hori, who was working as a freelance writer at the time, to help him out. The two had been introduced due to their shared love of arcades via a mutual friend, and together they helped make Famicom uh, Shinken, the video game section of Weekly Shonen Jump, the third most popular section of the magazine, according to reader polls. Trying to stay ahead of the competition, Torishima and Hori wanted to show readers of Shonen Jump how a video game is developed and help the magazine develop one so they could show their readers how a game is designed and made. Hori had just recently begun working with Enix, and he and Torishima pitched a deal where Enix would fully fund the game and keep Shuisha entirely out of the decision-making process in return for Shuisha retaining the option rights for a manga based on the game's story. The game wound up being Dragon Quest. Mm. And for those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm guessing probably some of our, our, our listeners are familiar with like Final Fantasy and the company Squaresoft that started that line of games. And think about how, how wildly popular that series of games is in this country. Dragon Quest was even more popular than Final Fantasy in Japan. This is like the the RPG game out of like the, it's the top dog. Yeah, and so Shueisha gets to keep like they're basically like, "Hey, you guys get to make this game and make it however you want, Enix, but like when it comes to adapting that game down the line into anything else, that's all us." Pretty, pretty good pretty deal. deal. <laughs> As the demands of the video game portion of Weekly Shonen Jump, the popularity of video games in general, and the popularity of Famicom Shinken all increase, Torishima leaves Weekly Shonen Jump as Shuisha launches V-Jump, a magazine focused entirely on video games and manga based on video games, to become the latter magazine's first editor-in-chief. He helps get the magazine up and running, gets it all to be a well-running machine, and then in 1996 is called away by Shuisha to step back in as editor for Weekly Shonen Jump. In fact, he becomes the editor-in-chief of Weekly Shonen Jump, as circulation has been failing, with his task then being to write, write the ship and boost circulation. So this is, this is the, the post-Dragon Ball world mm-hmm. of Weekly Shonen Jump. Because Dragon Ball ends in 95, I believe. Shonen Jump has been fading in popularity. It is now no longer that that coveted number one spot. It's not there anymore. And he has to figure out how to get it back. During his time as editor-in-chief of Weekly Shonen Jump, he launches Yu-Gi-Oh!, One Piece, and Naruto. Huh. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's... 
not only are you the editor that like introduces Dragon Ball to the world, but these are basically three more Dragon Balls. (laughs) (laughs) This dude's got like the Midas touch when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! I don't think is no longer in print. Naruto has concluded. I'm pretty sure One Piece is still going. Yeah, I think because One Piece has been running for so long. It's like since since I think 95. I'm not 100% sure. I don't I, this isn't a One Piece podcast. We don't always do a great job of this being a Dragon Ball podcast. <laughs> it's definitely not a One Piece podcast. But no. because it's been running so long, I think without like real interruption, I think it's actually all time the number one most selling manga in Japan. No kidding. That's impressive. Um, and yes, yes, part of that is because it is so long running, but like the again, the reason it's so long running is because it's popular. It's the old uh, I got I gotta I gotta drop them in organically when they come. It's the it's the old Godzilla thing. <laughs> there's I was waiting yes, for it. There's thirty eight Godzilla movies and the next biggest competitor is probably Gamera and he only has like twelve. But the reason that there's 38 Godzilla movies is because it's popular. It's just like the reason Power Rangers is still running and the reason that Ultraman is still going. Ultraman has been going. There's been breaks in it, but like this stuff keeps going because it's popular enough to keep going. Yeah. So everything Toroshima touches turns to gold. And in 2001, he gets another promotion to where he's the editorial department manager overseeing weekly Shonen Jump, monthly Shonen Jump, and V-Jump, helping Shueisha take back the top circulation positions that it lost in the mid to late 90s. This then continues until 2004, when he becomes the full-time editor, or full-time member, rather, of Shueisha's board of directors. Due to some unexpected circumstances, namely the unfortunate passing of some of his successors, he remains actively involved in editing all three magazines in some capacity through 2008. So he's sitting on the board of directors and editing Weekly Shonen Jump. That would be terrifying to me. Oh my god, that's so much work. (laughs) As As like the editor of one of the... Like, say you're the the editor of One Piece at the time, and your yeah. boss is on the board of directors. That's that's like the equivalent of like I'm in charge of sales at my little company within this big this big corporation. We don't currently have a president. I report directly to the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's a lot of pressure because it's wow if I screw this job up I'm not just losing this job I'm never working in this field ever again. <laughs> yeah. In 2009 he gets promoted again to be the director of Shogakukan 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 Shueisha yeah, Productions. And Shogakukan is the company that founded Shueisha. Shueisha focuses more on entertainment, while Shogakukan focuses more on reference books, like as dictionaries and and nonfiction books and things like that. So now this guy is, is, I think, finally not editing anymore, but he is running the the conglomerate that is Shogakukan Shueisha. He is in charge of all of their decision-making across nonfiction and fiction. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. This guy's career has been absolutely nuts. In, 2000, in August of 2015, he finally retires from Shogakukan and Shueisha. But in November, <laughs> he gets hired as the president of Hakusensha, which is a publishing company that specializes in shoujo or women's manga, kind of taking him back to his, his roots of what he was interested in with manga in the first place. Hakusensha was originally founded by Shueisha, though they run as their own company these days. He's no longer an active president or director anymore. He still serves as an advisor to Hakusensha to this day. So, you know, just kind of a 
like uh, a consultant, uh, someone that that their people can go to, and, and just I I would imagine at this point it's kind of like, hey, we're planning on like making like this big move. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, he's 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 more or less finally these days not like actively actively working anymore. Good for him. <laughs> he deserves a break. <laughs> um aside from Dragon Ball and everything else we've already mentioned, Torishima has worked on titles such as Bleach, Death Note, Gantz 2 and Pokémon. And again, that's his time as being the editor in chief of of uh, Shonen Jump. And he's he's been so influential that he's been parodied both directly and indirectly by many of the mangaka he's worked with. We've talked about the Toriyama stuff, but also characters based on him appear in Dragon Quest, Totemo Lucky Man, and Momotaro Dentetsu. And even some stuff he hasn't worked on, such as Yuda Tamago, which is the, the duo we responsible for Kaniku Man which we mentioned had a film that debuted alongside Curse of the Blood Rubies. So he's been parodied by people he hasn't even worked with because he's picked up a reputation as a difficult man to please and is reported to have told mangaka to throw entire chapters in the trash and staunchly shouting, simply reject it when he doesn't, when he reads something he doesn't like. Uh, though he disputes these claims as overblown. And it's an interesting thing because I could see this as being something that Toriyama is like, well, I never had him tell me to throw a chapter out entirely. And then Torishima being like, yeah, because you give them to me five minutes before they're due at the press. <laughs> so really, when you think about it, Toriyama's just ahead of the curve. <laughs> Torishima says he only became an editor because he, when he thought of his life, skills, and what separated him from others, the only thing he could think of was that he read more books than anybody he knew. He assumed with that quote-unquote skill, the only job he could get would be as a writer or an editor, but that as a writer, he struggled to think of ideas and continue to explore them more and more in depth. He always found it more natural to bounce ideas off others and assist them in their creative efforts, and so he became an editor. He says his initial experiences were very negative. He found the job boring and hated the competitive nature of the editing department. He considered quitting Shueisha after just one week on the job. He said <laughs> all that kept him going at first was that he wanted to try to elevate manga and make it no longer be boring. I, that That's a scathing review. <laughs> yeah, I, I like like when, when we have that quote-unquote skill, like that's him saying that. He is saying that he thinks of himself as having no skills which is like crazy to me because now with with books and manga and stuff like that i think this goes maybe a little bit less so but there's always that old adage when it comes to movie making that a movie is made three times once when it's written once when it's filmed and lastly when it's edited and I think that holds true at least a little bit for this stuff. And yeah. we see that, as we've talked about Dragon Ball, we've seen example after example already, and we're not even through the Dragon Ball portion with that Toriyama actually, or Torishima actually edited, that there is a skill to being the editor. And as the editor, you are guiding the direction of this and... Yes, it's ultimately the the mangaka's uh, ability Vision. to adapt to your recommendations that that make it work or not work. But like your recommendations are what makes something f popular or not, kind of. So yeah, especially in his case, in, in all honesty. And and then yeah, and then having to deal with with someone like as as notoriously difficult as Toriyama, like that's a skill too. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, a skill. It's it's a, an exercise in restraint would be my thought. Yeah. Keeping things from being boring is basically his call to action, which is interesting because he also says he doesn't like characters to change much for fear of displeasing the readership. Still, Torishima knows how to toe that line as it was his idea to strip out a bunch of the characters in Dragon Ball, focus mostly on Goku, Krillin and Master Roshi and institute the first Budokai Tenkaichi. OK, the 21st, which is what makes Dragon Ball become a mega hit. 
Torishima thinks plot is less important than character and easy to follow action. As we go further into the story, we'll see Toriyama take that, that message in particular to heart, as very little of the time travel shenanigans of Dragon Ball make any sense. But the stories they're in are some of Van's favorites. He also, as mentioned previously, thinks readers want a romance of some kind, and in addition to pushing Dr. Slump to lead to a marriage between Senbei and Midori, he pushed Toriyama to add romance to Dragon Ball. Initially, Torishima wanted there to be a romance between Bulma and Goku. Bullet dodge there. Uh, but he also pushed <laughs> Goku to have a love interest, and we can thank him for Goku's marriage to Chi-Chi. Yeah, I'm very glad Goku and Bulma don't add, end up together. I, I oh, like them so much better as friends. Yeah, that like, relationship makes way more sense. I think they also have a very good complement uh, of skills. Goku is yes. clearly the brawn. Bulma, clearly the brain. Yes. And I like, it leads to so many more interesting, so many more interesting character dynamics and stuff that they are not simply like husband and wife. He's constantly, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but like he is kind of manipulating her at times, like, like promising her money away. And like, that wouldn't be a big deal if that was your wife. If you're like, oh yeah, don't worry. Like I've got millions and millions of dollars that I can give you. Yeah. Not a big deal if you're married to that person. Like, oh, don't worry. Bulma will give you millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> it's like, that is not your money at all. So some last little bits here on Torishima. He's an outspoken advocate for freedom of speech and expression, and he's gone to battle against the Japanese government's attempts to restrict the distribution of certain types of manga. These are somewhat controversial stances as they include titles that depict underage characters in sexually charged situations. But Torishima believes that the government's regulatory attempts go too far and allow too much room for interpretation, including restricting access to internet and anything that could be pseudosexual or deemed sexual and a lack of equity and approach as the bills that are often brought up and occasionally passed specifically and explicitly call out drawings and depictions in manga and specifically and explicitly do not include photography or film of real children. So I think we see a lot like it sounds when you're someone on the outside of this and someone who's done, you know, a few hours of research into Torishima as like, this guy's like advocating for people to draw to draw kitty porn. It's more like you guys are, are, are issuing these like we see this, I think, in America. You're issuing these sweeping statements that are allowing too many things to get blocked and allow too much room for interpretation and yet at the same time there's mediums that are explicitly featuring the abuse of children and they are not being censored right and they're not part of these bills that are like targeting like these bills that that japan are are, are passing are targeting manga because they view it as a like torishima's parents uh, which, you know, starts mm -hmm. to kind of make sense. The older generation views manga as like a lesser form of entertainment. Just like I think parents in America view books that are in kids' libraries and kids' entertainment as a lesser form of entertainment. And therefore, it shouldn't be challenging and can't be interesting. And think like you get people here yeah. say all the time, I don't watch cartoons. I'm a grown man. And you're like, really? You would show your children like Rick and Morty or you know stuff like that like mm -hmm. get over the the medium the medium is not the content those are two different things yeah here in in here in america you're seeing books being banned because they mention that families are sometimes made up of same-sex parents or textbooks being banned because they mention that Rosa Parks was a black woman who was protesting. Stuff like that is happening because our laws that are being passed are being too, too open for in yeah. interpretation. And so Torshima is pushing back against that same type of censorship, which is I think actually even like worse in some ways in Japan because it's a much more homogenous society, right? There's way mm -hmm. fewer population of like minority groups in Japan. And so they tend to bulldoze and steamroll those people way more. 
But yeah, Torishima basically believes the priorities of the government are wrong. And he notes uh, this bill 156 that's, that's passed that allows the, the government to like censor or eliminate or punish uh, manga that, that, put children into like sexually charged situations he notes quote i saw two major problems with bill 156 the first was that a political body was trying to decide the direction of creative expression the second part was that in the bill the government tried to specifically discriminate against manga and anime while ignoring content from movies in short the government saw manga and anime as something lower than other media and that is not good unquote i love that quote yeah, I, I also love the 180 of Torishima in that of, you know, when he starts, he kind of looks down on manga. He thinks of manga as boring. He mm-hmm. thinks that anime adaptations of manga are generally not successful. And over his, you know, what? 50 year career 50 plus year career nope um about 50. turns it around yeah about 50 he yeah he ends up changing his opinion entirely and it's funny because the more i hear about this bill just like from from his side of things like where it can be passed on to things that are pseudo sexual or deemed sexual i'm like that's we talked about that controversy in, in Dragon Ball early on, like the moments yeah. when like Goku is like tapping people's crotches or like takes off Balma's underwear. Like in America, parents freaked out about that and freaked out about like when Goku takes off his pants and pees and tried to get Dragon Ball banned. And that's a big part of why it took the Dragon Ball portion of Dragon Ball so much longer to make it to America than the the Z portion because the Z portion doesn't have as much of that. And so you wonder if like Dragon Ball could have been targeted by that bill when it was passed. And that's, that's probably what he's thinking in his head. Yes. As I've worked on stuff that's become super popular that could have been targeted by this. So yes. So for, for Torishima, it definitely seems like a principle of a, of the thing, more so than any explicit support of the very controversial and I'll say even like taboo stories. Especially as he further notes that in more recent years, the tides seem to have swung the other way and Tokyo wants to rebrand itself as like an anime land and a tourist destination based on selling anime. And when he's asked if he's excited about this shift because it seems like hey this is you know you just said you you think that people are looking down on manga and anime and now they're they're branding ourselves as anime isn't that great he is i think so jaded by his experiences and trying to fight bill 156 he just says i don't want to get involved with politics if i can help it and i kind of me personally i kind of like that stance because on one hand, I can understand why people want to get his opinion on this, but at the same time, like he's he's not the person behind this push. He's not he's not the one that's trying to to basically turn, like you said, Tokyo into a, into like anime land. On Dragon Ball's worldwide success, Torishima simply thinks he tried to make it good for a Japanese audience, and that worldwide success came about from it from that naturally. He thinks if you concentrate on making something good for an audience, any one specific audience others will recognize its value and see that it is good he likens dragon ball's popularity to that of sushi worldwide it was developed for japanese tastes but ultimately everyone realized that those were some good tastes that's a point that i wholeheartedly agree with i think and i think you can ask like any person who considers themselves like an auteur director yeah. Like, especially like your Scorsese's, your Tarantino's. David Lynch is a really good example of this. David Lynch has had some movies that have gained quite a bit of notoriety and popularity. I think, like, The Elephant Man is maybe David Lynch's most successful movie. I I just think that because, like, I think of it as being, like, his like one of his more prestigious ones. Mm-hmm. Eraserhead has gained some, some, at least a cult following over the years. 
Blue Velvet's really well known. I mean, he did Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks has gained popular enough to have yeah. a revival series. People will ask him from time to time, you know, like, oh, who'd, who'd you make this one for? You know, because this one seems targeted towards, like, whatever group a little mm-hmm. bit more than others. And he always says, I make movies, like, that I think would be interesting. And if they just then happen to others happen to, to think they're good, too, then that's good. And I think when you when you really get into, like, the auteur theory at times, you all these guys will all say, like, even if they don't say, I made it for me, they'll say, like, I made it with, like, this group of people in mind. And it just yeah. happened to also be popular. The 2021 film Godzilla vs. Kong, when Adam Wingard made that one, and I think that one is, I think it's the most successful, or at least is like it's considered, I think by a lot of people, the most successful of the four MonsterVerse movies, which are Godzilla 2014, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Godzilla vs. Kong to date. That's what they are. He's the only one of these, because all four movies directed by four different people. He's the only one of these four who said when he made the movie, he wanted it to be a simple, fun movie that kids could like and that he had that target audience in mind. And of the four movies, it is the most focused one. It's the most kind of drilled in on a tone and it is the one that I think kind of resonated the most with audiences. Now that could just be, Oh, Godzilla and Kong in the same movie. That's like, you know, big crossover. It's a big deal. There hasn't been a Godzilla and Kong movie since 1962, but having a creator have one audience in mind ends up making others realize that it's got those merits. Sure. Uh, And I can think of, countless examples uh like in the video game space over the past i don't know we'll say 15 years or so we've had this issue with like the big studios coming out with these triple a games that are are kind of watered down and and sort of bland because they're trying to be palatable to such a wide audience so that they can sell more copies it's leaving this like base open for uh like indie developers to to make niche titles that really focus in, like you, you were saying, on one particular audience and delivering a very uh, specialized experience for that particular audience. And then it causes people who are maybe not part of that fandom or part of, or, or, or regularly uh, fans of those types of games to take notice when the community that's around it gets pretty hyped. And they go, wait a minute, those guys are pretty excited about something. What are they excited about? I think that's probably one of the drawbacks of the, you have all of these large businesses that are focused on market share as opposed to delivering like a high quality, unique product, even if it is for a niche audience. It's it's a decent strategy, but when you when I think of things like those those indie developers for video games, when I think of like the the tabletop gaming scene, yeah. Um... And that's, I mean, that happens on the, the film side, too, a lot. Like, movies get just focus-tested to death. And when I say that, I mean, like, like literally to, to, to death or near death. And, you know, that's stuff like, like, like Batgirl got focus-grouped to death. It got focus-grouped to where... Literally to death. <laughs> to where the focus groups all so didn't agree on what parts worked and what parts didn't. And Warner brothers had no idea what to do with it, that they used their merger with the, with discovery as an excuse to kill it. What, how does the old saying go? The horse built by committee is a camel. Yeah. And yeah, you, you can ride a camel just like a horse, but there are things that a horse can do that a camel can't and vice versa. And maybe, you know, you don't need a camel. Maybe you just need a horse. So guys guys like Torishima are sadly uh, more and more on their way out of the, the creative business. And not because they're not successful, because they are aging out of it. Yeah. 
and and also to Torishima's credit, like, yeah, he's an editor, but there's still some artistic aspects to his work because he has to work with these artists regularly. Mm-hmm. And like you were just saying, like, it, like his whole thing with them was like, no, this this isn't focused enough, or no, this isn't this isn't good enough. Like you you like you you can do better than than what you've just handed me. Right. It's funny because every time we start talking about Torishima. Because uh, we did this a little bit when we talked to Derek, I have like a note at the end where I want to get into the. He's he very famously says he thinks Dragon Ball has no depth, and says, "quote There's nothing you can learn by reading Dragon Ball. It's not a life lesson. It's useless in our lives. It's just a funny comic, and there's nothing to analyze in it." And I always think like, "Oh, we'll talk about that when we get to the end," because. You know, we might be thin on discussion otherwise, but right. uh, we've talked for a, a, quite a while on this guy. And I will just say, again, I guess we'll tease this this discussion out for another time because I think you could do a whole podcast episode on this. I mean, it is as a whole, as a totality, what our podcast is really kind of about. Is that <laughs> I was about to say, we, I guess we should just pack it in and go home. <laughs> <laughs> there is more to it and that there is stuff to be learned from it. But I want to have that discussion some at some point, because I think there is a really interesting discussion to have uh, because this this gets into that same thing of like, no, you, you shouldn't take it too seriously because it, it is ultimately like it's designed for kids to, it's designed to be understood by, by children. And so there is a sort of, uh, superficiality to the whole thing. But the flip side of that is I think it can tell us a lot about the people who make it and the culture that, that spawns it into existence and that embraces it and story. T- I, I love talking about storytelling and this is where like this, this podcast is one of my outlets for it. I have a few like, like group chats and things that I'm in for it because I love talking about storytelling. I think it's so fascinating to like look at stories and storytelling and learn things about the human condition from fiction. Sure. I, one of my things that I've said a couple times is that nonfiction informs us of where we came from and fiction informs us of who we are. Yeah, I do want to have that conversation at some point. I think we could save that, though, for another time, maybe, uh, because we wound up talking about Torishima a lot, because he's a, he's a fascinating he's a guy. very interesting fellow. I appreciate everything that Toriyama, or Torishima has done to uh, force Akira Toriyama to do his job. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what got him the promotions. <laughs> They're like, wait, you can make that guy do his job? You're hired. <laughs> okay, now can I explain how I'm still alive despite seemingly being eaten by giant bugs? Of course. Don't ever let me stand in the way of a good yarn. Seriously? Yes, go ahead. So, every time I'm faced with a life or death situation that leans way more towards death, I'm sure everyone has noticed that I spit... <laughs> Stow it, recruit! I can't believe I thought I might actually be allowed to speak. Hey, don't blame me. Blame the proximity alarm. Proximity alarm? We've got incoming. Incoming what? Not sure. Energy torpedoes, perhaps? Two bogeys. Starboard side, bow end, coming in fast. Huge energy readings. Working on calculating origin point and trajectory. If it's a proximity alarm, isn't the trajectory us? The computer is calculating evasive maneuvers. Fair enough. And I need you to hop out there and fire off this decoy flare when I give the signal. I'll circle back around for you when the torpedoes have chased after it. That sounds about right. (laughs) Listeners, will we avoid these torpedoes? Will we make it to our destination? What will be waiting for us when we arrive? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum.
Storm is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 